audio check. On this episode, Mitch Lee, host of the Retail Pharmacy Podcast, is back on the show, and we give our thoughts on Netflix's new docuseries, The Pharmacist. Hope you enjoy. So, Mitch, I'm super excited to talk to you about the pharmacist series that was on Netflix. I mean, it's been kind of the talk of the create, like it's been the talk of the industry for a while now. And which is interesting because we've never had something like this, I feel like, in pharmacy. Um, so so it's a really exciting time for us um, now. Quick disclaimer for anyone listening to what we're about to do on this episode. If you have Spoilers. not watched, <laughs> if you have not watched the pharmacist on Netflix, and you do not want to hear the spoiler alerts and like basically all of what it's about, I would turn this off and go watch the Netflix series and then come back to this episode because we're going to be talking through all of it with spoilers. We're not going to care about your feelings if you watched it or not. So also, <laughs> also you, if you haven't watched it, like go watch it now just for the sake of watching it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such an amazing series. I mean, you know, to think that, you know, we've never really had something like this hit like mainstream that really highlights kind of what, um, you know, the, a lot of the things that we go through. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of dive in here and kind of talk through it. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe we can look at like episode by episode almost. But, you know, the first episode I feel like was like the hardest hitting in terms of like emotional impact. I feel oh, like big time, big time. I mean, I think so the first episode really set the stage for why he was doing what he was doing. Right. So it was like letting, you know, like he, like it explained his life and what was going on with him him and his family. And his wife said it like, basically like we had, we didn't want for anything. We had everything like all thing was good. And then, so his son passed away and this drug deal gone bad. And that started this flame for him to like, you know, he, so the, um, the, the first episode, pretty much the entire ep, uh, first episode is about that with his son, right? Yeah. I don't think it really bleeds much into the second. I mean, it, the the second, third, and fourth parts talk about the, go back and talk about his son, but like the, the first episode is really just everything with his son, I think. And so, yeah. You actually wouldn't have known what the rest of the series was about if you only watched the first episode because it was so heavily focused on like solving. I'm oh, sorry about that. It was so heavily focused on him kind of just like solving the um solving the crime of like what happened to his son and like why his son was even in that position um yes. one thing that really got me and, and and you see this highlighted heavily in the first episode uh so dan schneider is uh the uh, pharmacist kind of the lead that basically did all this he was the guy that had the son that was murdered he was a pharmacist that worked at the pharmacy and he recorded everything and that was like <laughs> he did and and it's crazy how it worked out but it's it's almost like the dream. Like you think about the Netflix producers, this was probably the dream for them because you do documentaries on a lot of different things. But most of the time, it's like all you have is the people's um, the kind hearsay. of yeah. yeah hearsay and telling the stories. But he had all the recordings of everything, so he would just say something like he would tell the story, and then it would cut to like the audio of like exactly what was happening. It was crazy. I I always wondered like. Uh, if that was the reason they selected him or first of all, how they found him in the first place, you know what I mean? Yeah. How Netflix like found him. And then 
if, if they found him first and then realized that he recorded everything, they'd be like, oh my gosh, that, you know, we got to do this now. Mm-hmm. Because right, every, every single thing they talked about, it just cut right to the audio. And he, even like the opening, the opening, uh, what do you call that? Like the, the intro for the uh, docuseries is like this little record, you know, tape recording kind of like mechanism or whatever. So it's all definitely based on the, uh, the recordings that he did. And I actually sent out on, on my, on the retail pharmacy podcast on the socials, I sent out just a question on everyone's like thoughts about the docuseries and everything. And the, uh, it was, I, I got some, you know, some response about, you know, it was really cool and stuff. And, you know, I got, I'll probably, we'll, we'll eventually read some of those, but like most of the responses I got was, were people saying that they just couldn't believe that he was getting away with recording everything. Yeah, like, that's how could he, like you know what I mean? Like the, I can't believe he recorded everything. That was probably like not HIPAA. It was a HIPAA violation. Blah blah blah. Yeah, that is that is an interesting thought too. In terms of, I remember even you know there was a part a little bit further on in the episodes where I think he was talking to like an FBI agent or something like that. And he was like, we're well, now we're being recorded again. Are we Dan? And he's <laughs> yeah. like, he's like, and this is the actual recording. Like we're hearing the recording <laughs> and he's like, no, right. definitely not. <laughs> yeah. That was, de- that was part of the trailer too. So yeah. I, I want to take a step back with, with the trailer for me. Okay. So you're right about this being like something that our profession really hasn't seen before. And I mentioned this on my last episode of, of my podcast where when I saw the trailer, I'm going to admit to you, Richard, I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, this like I gotta go see this thing, man. I was like, okay, you know, like I'll probably see it or whatever. And uh I don't know if that's because I'm not typically drawn to documentaries. That's just me personally. I don't know why. I'm not I mean, I'll, I'll watch them. I've definitely watched some good ones, but I'm just not it's like I see, I see a trailer for a documentary, I'm not like, Oh my gosh, I gotta go watch that. But yeah. I saw that and I was like, Okay, you know, I'll watch it. But it was the it was everyone online. It was everyone at work, it was everyone talking about it. I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah, I really you know, I definitely have to see this. And I got sucked in. Yeah, I got peer pressured in, in for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So I got sucked in and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I did this. And then you had the bright idea of like, dude, we should totally like do a co- you know, co-host an episode about it. So I was like, oh man, it's genius. But, yeah, I, I when it's funny. I had a, it's It's weird. This is actually kind of weird because honestly, like almost the same thing with me. I saw someone posted online about the pharmacist on Netflix and because I feel like we've never had something so truthful and so accurate, I think there was something not long ago that um, I want to say it was like within the last two years. I forgot the name of it now because it wasn't even, you know, anything that was it was good. I think it was like pill. It was called pills or something. And someone tried oh, to do like this, yeah, like, dude, you, you saw, you know, what I'm talking about, right? I forgot the name I of do. it. I mean, I, I can picture the cover of the yeah. documentary. I can't remember what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't even a documentary. It was actually more of like a like a show with with like actors kind of acting out the scenarios. And like it was hard to watch. Like I, it, I think it was real. Like I think it was, you know. I think it was actual things that probably would have happened, but it was a little exaggerated. It was kind of hard to watch because it just, I don't know, it didn't sit well with me. So then when I saw this, I kind of had that in my memory. I was like, oh, this is probably going to be another piece of garbage, you know, that um, it's not going to be great. And I'm probably just not going to waste my time watching it. But then similar to you, I just started seeing all the different reactions online. And I was like, wait, this might be something I really have to see. And then after I watched it, I was like, the world needs to see this, like not just in pharmacy, because... One thing that I really love about or, or I think that's important about this particular piece of, of a docuseries is that it sits home and resonates very heavily with us. Right. With with people in pharmacy. Oh, big time. But I actually think it it's it's done in such a way that the average person who's not in pharmacy 
needs to watch it to to better understand the things that pharmacists go through to like let them get a glimpse into like our world and why we're important. And I think um, I feel like every person that's listening to this right now should share on their personal like whether it be in their personal circles, like in their in their jobs or whatever with families at family dinners or if they are posting online on social media, make sure everyone, you know, watches this because it really gives insight into the importance of a pharmacist and i think can actually like i think it's a, it's a good way to really start shifting the brand of pharmacist um away from what it's generally known to be and you know it's kind of falling mm-hmm. in line with all these other articles that are coming online now about highlighting like how dangerous things are in the pharmacy with mistakes and how you know the the work uh the work environment is tough so i feel like that we're in we're in a place now where the 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 masses of the world that are not in pharmacy are starting to see what we go through. And I think this docu-series, like we should really promote it to our non-pharmacy friends um, and family because of what it highlights. I think it's really interesting to hit on because there is like just getting through watching this. Now, it's so uh, it's been out since February 5th, I think. So it's been out for a couple of weeks. And that, you're right, coinciding with the New York Times article about uh, about CVS. And then one just came out with about Walgreens and that kind of turned more about CVS and everything. There is a spotlight on a profession right now, and I, it, it's amazingly important. I mean, I completely agree with you that you should share it with your friends, family, social media, whatever. And the the proof that I think that it, it's gripping and good to know for people who are not even in pharmacy, I was watching it with my wife, and I was like, hey, listen, uh, I, I need to watch this, like, for, you know, my industry, for this episode that Richard <laughs> and I are going to do, for, like, you know, for all these reasons. Uh, do you mind if we, you know, you, you want to sit in with us? She's like, yeah, sure. I'll watch it. And she got sucked in and she's like, does this stuff like really happen? I mean, she kept asking these questions and I'm like, yes, like this is real. Like I remember so I'm, I graduated in 2010 and I remember like the, like opioids and at this, and then I was in uh, Southeast Georgia, it wasn't like as big of a deal, but I remember the rise of like seeing it more and more and like having prescriptions come in more and more for these like Roxycodone, 30 milligrams, quantity of 150 tablets. And I remember like one day not having like that quantity in stock and calling like this locally owned pharmacy and be like, hey, this patient here is trying to get some medication. We don't have this quantity. And she was literally like, uh, and she she and I knew each other. She's like, Mitch, I think that's a, like that's from a pill mill. I'm like, I don't think we're supposed to fill that or something. And I was like, wait, yeah. what? Like, so yeah, the, the rise of this uh, is not that long ago. I mean, it's, it's really, really interesting how, how, recent it is and how much how sharp the epidemic like how quickly it came on you know what i mean yeah and what's also interesting is not i think it was just this past year actually in 2019 that there was a doctor from miami actually you know we we think about kind of pill mills and what was going on there someone just got arrested um in miami that what like is probably going to get the similar charges as you know the doctor from the pharmacist got in terms of Dr. like Clay. kind of like over prescribing like all that stuff and and it's just crazy that it's still like it's still happening you know like it is that that to me is, is also what's crazy is, is that it's still happening. yeah and at the end of the uh i, I know we're jumping around but here i just got so many thoughts about this whole thing yeah at the end of like the, the four part series at the very end it's like you know with most like documentaries and especially with with scripted shows it wraps up like usually pretty well and you're like, feel really good at the end. You're like, okay, that was good. And because of what you just said of that reason, like they could, you can't really end this being like, 
all right, like we fixed the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they ended it basically saying like almost like a call to action. Uh, and you know, we'll see kind of thing. So yeah. it kind of left you like, man, yeah. It's, and it's still, it's still heavy. It might not be as, I don't know if I can even say this accurately. I don't know if it's as heavy as it was back in the nineties when Purdue Pharma was, was doing their stupid ads and, and all, you know, I know there's still pill mills out there and everything. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, still an issue. I, I don't know. That's, that was, that's what struck me at the very end of all of it. I was like, man, yeah. you can't really tie this up in a neat little bow. All right. Can we talk about the, the, I think what was the first real plot twist? Freaking Jeffrey, man. Yeah, dude. Oh what? my God. I'm so I, mad at when, him. <laughs> when that happened, I was like, I, I even like did that out loud on my TV. I was like, what? Yeah. No, <laughs> I thought it was Scarface. Yeah, I thought for it was real. <laughs> oh my God. My uh, heart was, like, was broken, like, man. My I heart know, was so dude. broken. Cause he, cause of how much Dan trusted him, you know, like, you know, all, all kinds of things happen in here, but you just hear how, how much Dan trusted him and wanted like good for him, you know, and like for him to be the one, like that was rough. I know, man. So, uh, yeah, so that happened. So that happened in the first episode, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 Cause that was all about his son. Right. And then, uh, yeah, that was the first huge plot twist. Um, and then I can't, I think it was still in the first episode whenever he talked to, uh, Shane Matting. He was like making those random phone calls, you know, to like the people in the ninth ward. Yeah. Yeah. And he ended up uh, just randomly calling this woman who saw the whole entire thing. And he had been through so much at that point that I'm like, man, if he could have only just like spoken to her from the beginning. Yeah. You know, that that was it. Because she was the one, one who eventually like spoke the truth and led them to um, eventually catching the, the guy who did it. But yeah, he, he originally steered the guy wrong. And it was crazy that it ended up being him. And also how is that guy not in prison? They didn't, I don't even think they touched on that. Well, no. So I actually, so what actually happened with him, I think he had a prison sentence um, because I think he was like 15 at the time or something. I think he spent like 15 or 16 years in jail. So I think when they, by the time that they were recording, it was like after he had served a sentence, like he had served his time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because remember, like, I think it took place in like the, in the like 1999 or something like that. So, you know, almost 20 years, it's, it's yeah. already been a, a, over 20 years and he was a teenager. That kid was, that, that kid was, I think only 15 or 16. Jeffrey was only 15 or 16 at the time. So, so with, um, Je- so with Jeffrey, when it first, when it first showed Jeffrey, it was, it, he was, I, to me, when they first showed him, I was like, okay, this, this Netflix has brought this kid in to kind of like give you a realistic view of what it was like to grow up in that, like that yes, area me too i thought you know so what i mean too. yeah they're good they're sneaking and man. so <laughs> right and so your heart just went out to this kid and then he was the one that was going to help dan and said yeah i think it was this guy called scarface or whatever and you were like on his side or whatever and you felt for this kid and then all of a sudden boom and i remember when when they they said it was him it just like did this uh netflix it was like the next scene was just a shot of his face just like looking at the camera yeah you were like Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! That was that was like that. I think that was what really sucked me in. I think I think that was like the moment yeah. where I was like, "All right, I am in this right now because we need to figure this out and like see what's going on." Um, but yeah, so if you are telling your friends and family, if you're listening to this, you're telling your friends and family at the dinner table to watch this. Make sure you let them know. Like the the first episode, like lays the groundwork 
but like the the next three just kind of completely go in a complete different direction. Yeah. And I will say too, I think it's important that like I've, I've had people that responded to on my personal social media networks that like they said that they didn't, they didn't continue to watch after the first episode because the first episode was so like hard to watch because like, because of how yeah. emotional it was. So I think yeah. it's also important to know if people are like, stop watching or whatever, like just because the, the second through fourth episodes, I think aren't as emotionally tolling as that first one was because you know on the first one like you're hearing you're hearing dan and his wife grieving over like the record the original recordings of them two kind of grieving oh, about dude, i had to mute it rough, i had man. to yo um on some real stuff here i had to mute it during the t during that time because it was a long like it was a long scene where it was. it was just the recordings of them two i was i muted it to only read the captions because i couldn't listen to that it was so hard for me to actually like get through so and Netflix, they did a really. I think they did that. Yeah, it was. It was extremely difficult. And man, did that really hit home the point of their grief? I mean, they were really trying to make you feel what they were feeling. And uh, the simple fact that he recorded those conversations was interesting. Yeah. But yeah, you're right, man. It was it was very 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 heavy. That all happened in the first part, and then the 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 second, third, and fourth parts. That's when you you he starts to like. So he, the, the son's, uh, his son's killer is like caught. And then he starts to see this like problem with like a larger problem. Like he takes a step back and sees like more of a broader issue that's happening in his community where he's filling all these Oxycontin prescriptions that are coming in. He said he can see his son's face and all these people that are coming in, all these young people that are getting these really heavy doses of pain medications. And so he, so then I don't know if it's like he his son's killer got caught and maybe that wasn't enough for him or maybe he got a taste of justice and he wanted to like, you know, take it a step further. But then he goes against this vendetta against this pill mill, this Dr. Cleggett. And mm. then Netflix, like, I think your takes your emotions and tell me if, I'm, if you agree, like they take your emotions like it was this like grieving thing through the first episode. And then episodes like two and two and three is more like a, they create an enemy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they create, they create this person that you're like, okay, she's the problem. She's the sole, you know, sole problem, the sole issue as to why Dan's in the position he is, like why the country is the way it is. And they, they really focus it on her. Well, I actually think that they created two enemies. Actually. I think it was, it was her, but it was also, um, the original, like, I don't say originators of it, but it was her, but also the manufacturers because they did, Purdue, they did a man. good job oh. highlighting what Purdue was doing in terms of, how they were training their, um, you know, the um, the reps, like how they were training the drug reps, uh, what the commercials were like, how how they were talking uh, to doctors, letting them know, yes, like, like it's in the FDA labeling that it says it's less addictive, you know, which is crazy to think it's true. Like that's what they put in there. But they were using dude. that to say, like, if the FDA said it was OK, like, obviously, it's fine to prescribe. Um, yes. So. And it, in the 90s, they were when it was like coming out. So they, they mentioned on the docuseries about how. Purdue came out with Oxycontin and they were really pushing for it. And, uh, there was this doctor, doc, I don't know if you remember this like old school commercial or something. And it had this, this doctor and his name was Dr. Santos. And he was like a Purdue spokesman and he legit said these words and, and it's printed on the commercial and quotes and you can see it. And it said that if a, um, something to the effect of a, if a, a patient is, is using Oxycontin under the supervision of a prescriber, the addiction, the 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 risk of addiction in that patient is much is much less than one percent. 
Yeah, that's insane. I mean, they even had the clips of the congressional hearings where I think they lined up like seven doctors, like seven physicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they asked, like, do you believe this is addictive? And they all said, like, on the record, no, or something. Like, it was like something word blatant. Word. They just echoed each other. Yeah, yeah, it was something so blatant. And it's just it's crazy to think about that, you know, things like that could happen. And I do wonder if, you know, what they were under in terms of uh, what kind of pressure they were under from the company. If Because sometimes, you know. Sometimes when people, especially, uh, you know, depending on what side of the aisle you're on, a lot of times people truly believe the things that they say, you know, like the, for whatever reason, sure. whatever it might be, they truly believe that. So I do I do wonder if back then, you know, you know, because we're, we're 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 kind of reviewing this in today's world. But I'm right. wondering if back then they truly believe that or if they were genuinely hiding it because there wasn't data out there on it or something like that, you know, like in terms of being uh. maybe public that I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, I guess there's two ways to think about it. You can see it that way. You, I mean, there also could be a situation where the, there, there was somebody at the uh, top, the very top who, who had the information, who knew it and they wanted to line their pockets anyway, but the information they were feeding everyone under beneath them. Yeah. They actually believed it. So, you know, they weren't the enemies. They were just kind of relaying what they were told and what they thought to be true. I mean, the heck, the, the, the fact that they sent out the, this information, from an actual like doctor from, I guess what they considered they did trials or something, but they were sending out their reps to tell these, all these prescribers that this medication has less one, that less than 1% risk of addiction. Doctors are going to just roll with, run with that. And they did. And in that scenario, the reps not really at fault because they're just, they think it's true. You're right. Like it was a while ago, obviously now they know it's not true mm-hmm. anymore, but in, in that moment they thought it was true. The prescriber who's prescribing it, they thought it was true. So that was happening on a, on a more regular level. And then and then with the Dr. Cleggett thing, you're getting into the pill mills where you're like, okay, this is just like blatant disregard for public health in general because of the amount. Of the, I mean, there's no way an actual medical prescriber could be prescribing that those amount of pills and not think it was hurting the community. They said that she had written in one year – over 180,000 tablets of Oxycontin worth in a prescription. Yeah. And that's insane. I don't know, man. I just like, you're right about that. And when it, when it comes to pill mills and prescribers doing that, I'm like, there's just, there's no way. I mean, these, these people are not idiots at all. They, they, they're, they're medical doctors. They have to know what they're doing at least. So writing all this stuff out and you know, how the, the, her um, clinic kept like the weirdest hours. She was open like in the middle of the night Mm-hmm. And stuff. I don't know, dude. The whole the, thing was super shady. The hardest part, too, about what, uh, and I think this was like a, a point for me where I was like, this is going to get, I actually thought there was going to be a lot more corruption involved, um, mm-hmm. which I think there may have been, but they didn't touch on a lot. And the, the reason why that started to give me that feeling was because at some point during the series, when, when Dan was kind of looking, like kind of scoping out the practice, how there was a police officer as the, you know, yeah. as a security there and with all that stuff was going on. So it's like, how do you, how do you combat like you something that you think is wrong as a crime, and yet there's a police officer um, basically ensuring that it continues to operate safely? Uh, and that that think, to me was crazy. Yes, that was a, that was a crazy part. And at, at first I was like, is that just like a, a hired security officer, like a like a mall cop or something? Or, but yeah, it was it was a it was a police officer, and the whole thing was just. Was, was crazy. And then I think they, they ended up going to her home, you know, and, and her home was in disarray and there was, you know, they thought that she might be addicted and stuff. And then dude, the major, 
major twist at the end of the third episode. Tell me how you felt at the end of the, the third episode. Man, when 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 Dr. Cleggett came out, I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, they're really going to talk to this chick, man. And she, which at first I started, I felt bad a little bit because I guess she was like in an accident, which made her appear and, and sound probably yeah. why she does. But at first yeah. I thought it was because she was like high on drugs and all this kind of stuff. Oh, but yeah. it turns out she was like you sure. know, in, a, in a really bad accident. Um, but, uh, I was like, man, we're going to get to hear what this lady has to say. Um, yeah, I don't know that, that, that's weird because after all of that, to think that she still thinks that she didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, like when, when, when there was like pre, like they talked about how prescriptions were already written and they was just waiting to put a name and a date on it and how yes. like people were offered to be paid in prescriptions. Like if it was cash like that, I mean, there, there's clearly some, some real wrong stuff going on there. I don't know if there's if there was some sort of mental if there was something mentally wrong with her, I guess, from the standpoint of like and not even speaking like after the accident, but just her in general, as far as they they're, they're talking to her in this interview. And you're like, OK, I, you know, I'm, I'm so interested to hear what she has to say. Is she going to defend herself? Is she going to apologize? And she it was like she still didn't get it. She still yeah. didn't understand what she did. And they were asking like what they ask her, like, do you believe it's your medication? led to the death of patients and she's like no or whatever yeah You're like what come on <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i mean that that type of stuff to me seems like she's just blindly defending her actions um i guess so i don't know yeah you know one, one thing that was also interesting to me was and i feel like i don't know if i can i don't know if this can be relatable to like a lot of other people but at some point Dan's family was worried about him because of how how much he was pursuing this and how how he was basically obsessed like he was obsessed with figuring out and finding out how to take Dr. Cleggett down and and stop yeah. what was going on and it was just like and you could hear the recordings where he himself understood that he was tiptoeing on like borderline obsession maybe even having a manic episode and and staying kind of like sane with really knowing that you're onto something and what's yeah. what's interesting about that is that i feel i just feel like the great you think about like artists and like people like famous people and like just people that really have serious impacts on the world a lot of times they're tiptoeing on that line of being kind of crazy and obsessive but also being an artist and a genius you know and mm, i feel like he was on good. that i feel like he was on a similar path there where he was really doing some real amazing detective investigational work, but he was just a pharmacist, but he was so obsessed with it that everyone else on the outside saw him as being crazy and potentially, yeah. like, you know, obsessive when that probably fed into it too. Yeah. I think cause he had, he had the DEA, he had, um, you know, local law enforcement. He had uh, so many people, even his own family telling him, you have to stop this. Like mm -hmm. you have to quit. And I remember, you know, remember, remember him being like, uh, he, he decided that he was going to, if he like, it was, he's like by this, you know, by this time, he set forth a couple of weeks. If I hadn't really got anything, I was going to stop. So he was, yeah, he was, he was about to give up. And that's when he talked to, uh, Shane, the, the lady that ended up helping him find his, his son's murder. Uh, but you're right. And I, I do remember too, when he was getting, ch at one point he was getting chased by one of the security officers of Dr. Cleggett or whatever. Oh my God. It was scary. Yeah, it was. That was the very end of the second episode and then into the beginning of the third. Yeah. And he even said at that point, because you're right, because he was like, I, at this point, I don't even trust myself. Am I making this up? Am I imagining things? Mm -hmm. Like, 
So he was definitely like starting to, and, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he stopped working by the way. So he was, he was at work and even his own employer was telling him like, it's not like, stop what you're doing. Like quit, stop questioning these patients. Uh, what was the boss's name? Mr. Claude. That was his name. Mm-hmm. So his own boss was like telling him like, yeah, you're going crazy. Stop. And so he, he even stepped away from work and just was able to focus on this full time, which allowed him probably to get submersed in, in that, uh, feeling of, is this obsession or am I actually going down the right track here? Yeah. And I think that was pretty scary too. And, you know, he, I, th- I think he was like at some point outside the FBI's office, like on the phone with them saying like, I'm in danger. Like, oh, where yeah. do I go? You know, like, yeah. and they're like, you can't come here or something like that. We're like, what, where else is it going to go? <laughs> yeah. This dude's being chased um, by like goons from, from Dr. Uh, Cleggett. That was, that was the, probably the most like action packed part of yeah. the whole docu, docu-series. Yeah. And it's just crazy because uh, he has the original footage, like, you know, like all it, it's, it's just such a, such a crazy thing of like the fact that all of the proof of everything that was going on was there. It wasn't like, there were some things that you could tell that, you know, Netflix producers staged and, you know, relived, but that yeah. a lot of it was not, a lot of it was original, um, footage and recordings of of uh again like the things that he had recorded throughout that whole process like when when he was in it i think you hit the nail on the head when you said about the recording i think this docuseries wouldn't be what it was had he not done that and i you know he that was his plan from the beginning and that's why he had all the had it all stacked up in boxes and and then when he uh and then when hurricane katrina came through and everything was like saved like everything in his house was destroyed Mm -hmm. except for like all his footage and all his his evidence and everything that was like his sign from God to keep going. I do wonder though, um, if that was his original intentions in terms of saving everything. Like I don't, I can't imagine he thought about a, a, a docu series in the future. I think he was, I think he saved everything as like a, as just like a proof that he's not crazy. Oh, yeah. almost, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's what I, yeah, I was getting at just like him. Right. He was, I knew, I, I bet from the very beginning, his, his goal was to make sure he recorded everything. So, mm-hmm. Had he like he could get evidence of like people not help like wanting to help you know authorities not wanting to help him or not doing anything to help him and and yeah so people wouldn't think he's going crazy exactly yeah I feel like it's a hard lesson and like one obviously you know a lot of times people do things in in pharmacy and it's like you got to document everything which is interesting to think of the parallels but like in our day to day work when we things happen like document everything just because you never know. Um, But two I think another lesson out of like you know all the things that he's done is like a lot of times you got to board on being crazy if you want to really have like an impact and have real change done, you know? Yeah. Like if people mm-hmm. on the outside are, are potentially, you know, not saying that you, you're a little crazy for this, like it might not be, you might not be doing enough, you know? Um, 100%. So it's pretty interesting. Mr. Mr. Claude, his partner said it was a quote uh, and it was, I'm, I'm uh, summarizing what he said, but he was like, it's not your, he told uh, Dan Schneider, he's like, it's not your job to make the decision if this is the right thing to do or not, as far as filling the prescriptions. These doctors are, are the doctors and the prescriptions come in and you fill them. And then the, to me, the ultimate like mic drop moment of the, the whole docuseries of like, oh my gosh, this is great. Cause uh, like as a pharmacist, you hear him say this and you're like, hell yeah. Cause he, he said, uh, when, uh, Mr. Claude said, it's not your uh, job to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Dan Schneider in his like wonderful, thick Louisiana accent said, <laughs> he's like, I, I didn't see it that way. 
He said, as a pharmacist, I felt like it was my mission to make a difference. And I was like, yes, man, exactly. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, man. And I got triggered when uh, I, I think at some point he was really trying to catch Dr. Cleggett and like admitting something. And he had called her on, you know, on a clarification as to like oh, a dose that he prescribed where it was like a, a lethal exactly dose for the yeah. kid. And she was like, who made like, you know, when did you become an effing doctor or something like that? Like something hard. And it was like an like it was a big moment that you can tell that the producers made it a huge moment. And I think it triggered me as a pharmacist because of the amount of times that like we like people would just be like, you know, oh, but you're not you're just a you're just a pharmacist or something like that, you know, and, and yes. oh my God, I was so mad. And they hung up in his face, just like we've all been hung up in our faces from prescribers too, from the office. You're calling and saying, you know, like, hey, especially with the new opioid crisis and the new policies coming out with um, with prescribing, you, you know, a lot of uh, states and, and employers are having us call the prescriber, make sure there's a prescriber-patient relationship, make sure that other therapies haven't been, you know, other therapies are being tried. Like, what else? Is, how long is the patient going to be on this? And we're, we're supposed to have these conversations with prescribers and document it and, and talk about like backlash or like not being interested at all in bringing the pharmacist into the chain of treatment for the patient and like being a part of the treatment. It's the doctors are like, what are you doing? Just fill it, just fill it. You know, like, mm -hmm. a, I don't know, man, I know what you mean. When they did, when they did that too, it made me remember the times when not only patients, but doctors have you call the question something, maybe not even opioid related, just the question something or say, Hey, you know, like this is going on. Um, this might, this needs to be changed or I have concerns about this, you know, like, well, you seem to fill it. I actually it, talking about that. It makes me bring up a, I had an issue. Uh, it's actually last, uh, two, no, two nights ago I was working and a patient, uh, came up to get a prescription for, uh, Ketorolac, and they had already gotten like a, 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 a seven day supply seven days ago and the doctor rewrote a prescription for like another seven day supply. Mm. And you know, if, and if you're uh listening to this and you don't know about Ketorlac, it's pretty upsetting on the stomach. And so the, the manufacturer, you know, you're not supposed to only take that for five days. And so long story short, like I didn't feel comfortable filling that second prescription. And we're not even talking about opioids here, but I called the patient and I was just like, Hey, I don't really, you know, I don't really feel comfortable about filling this and I'm going to contact the doctor. Of course, the doctor, I had to leave a message. And I got such like an attitude from the patient and just like, you know, I, I, the doctor, he was a medical doctor and if he wrote it, it should be fine and all this stuff. And so, yeah, man, I, I think that, I think that, that, uh, <laughs> when I first watched that scene, it made me think of it. But now that you're bringing it up in that light, it does kind of like make me get, I don't know, defensive, I guess is the right word. Yeah. No, I, I it, it really like touched a string in my angry guitar. So, uh, <laughs> I will say, I do want to highlight the guy, uh, the, the, the Purdue rep, Chris Davis. Mm, I thought that guy was pretty cool. I loved him as, as, as a part of this docuseries. He was great. Oh, super relatable, yeah. super relatable yeah. and a very, very, uh, good to bring in to, sh to show the inside of Purdue and what they were telling the reps and everything as a whole. I, I loved it. I think, uh, and I read a, a, um, interview that Dan Schneider did with a local like news uh like a news outlet in New Orleans mm -hmm. and he was hoping that this whole entire docuseries would be like a call to action for pharmacists not necessarily I mean we're not all gonna go to work and then you know start doing our own investigations on the side but to get out of your comfort zone as far as like if you see something suspicious like say something like like contact certain people and not just 
you don't just keep your mouth shut in a way. Yeah. That's and one one other thing too. I think I don't know if he, you know, intended to do this, but I think one thing that I saw that I think was important was kind of towards the end of the series, you just started to see how after everything was all was was resolved. When I say resolved, like after Doctor Clegg was like arrested and all this stuff, you just and and Dan realized that it wasn't just an isolated incident with Doctor Clegg; it was happening across the country. That he started talking to like groups of students and like other like organizations and he was becoming like a voice for that particular um you know issue one thing oh that, that's right yeah yes. yeah, yeah. And, and i think one thing that i think is interesting about that is i feel like it's going to be up to us to you know th- and this is a broader um statement i think it's not just related to you know dangerous prescribing opioid um dangers and things like that but Sure. For the like branding of our profession, like for what we want society to see about us, whether that be, you know, regular people not in healthcare, whether we want we want to like influence the way other healthcare professionals look at us, I think it's gonna be up to us to go out into those communities and and talk about it. Like we can't just mm. expect we can't just expect of another nurse or PAs or uh, physicians to respect us because of what we know we like our intentions are. We have to like get out of our comfort zone, similar to what Dan said, and like actually go and speak to these groups and speak to like these or like different organizations that are probably uh, have these professionals that are there that are that are interested in learning more about healthcare. Like, and the the reason I'm also I feel like I'm saying this as well is because I talked to a group of PA students not too long ago. They wanted me to come in and lecture about uh, the mechanics of writing a prescription, like not about not nothing mm. clinical, but more of like. You know, we're going to call you back if like the math doesn't work out or we're going to call you back if you if you say use as directed on anything else but a Z pack, you know. So, yeah, and yeah. it was just cool because the ner- the PA students got such value out of kind of seeing where we come from when why when and why we call them so much on certain things and one seeing how to prevent that. But I think that group of students definitely sees pharmacists in a different light now. And I feel like we need to do that at scale. Like I can't do it all, obviously, like I need like everyone in their own communities to figure out ways to out, like reach out to the communities, whether it be for other healthcare professionals or communities that are people that are not healthcare professionals to spread awareness of the brand of what we intend to do in healthcare and what our intentions are and why we're important. And I think that he yeah, really so demonstrated that at the end of that episode at the end of the docuseries. That's good, man. I like that. So what you're saying basically is like, be, if, you can't expect us to be at our jobs in retail and just working away going home, doing the same thing over, over and over again, and for there to be a change or to be a shift in the branding or the way that uh, prescribers or anyone else in the medical field see us, it's going to involve being proactive, whether that be talking to groups or, you know, whatever it is, there's got to be other ways as well. But being proactive and doing things to establish yourself and pr- almost prove and show, like, we have a lot to offer and no one's going to come knocking on our door, you know, to, to get, to pick our brain about things or to get information from us to learn, uh, about, about the medical field or about medication. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be, yeah, being more proactive, getting out there and voicing it. And even if it's not every single person listening to this, it could be just, you know, 10, 15%, like anything is, is better than I think what's, what's going on right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times we, we look to organizations to do that for us and, but and I'm not saying do be extreme where you're talking once a week at a school or, or whatever, but like 
try to do something once a quarter, once a month, even once a year, if that, like where you're doing your own part to mm -hmm. educating some group of people about why pharmacy is important, about what the role that a pharmacist does. Um, and I think you can maybe speak to, for a second, maybe speak to the type of response that you might get if you kind of, not necessarily cold call, but if you're, if you reach out to an organization and say, hey, can I come speak about this certain topic? Like what kind of responses are, are you getting from, from uh, things like that? Yeah, so for the most part, when I speak, it's usually people asking me to go. So I actually spoke at a high school a couple of days ago. I think it was on Friday. Um, so three mm -hmm. days ago, I went down to a local high school and it was because I had a friend that I knew from college that she's a teacher and she sees how much I'm, how vocal I am about pharmacy and, and the profession and how passionate I am about it. And she was like, Hey, we're having career day. Can you come speak to these high school students? I'm like, sure. Oh yeah. And, um, I think I made an impact. I don't know the entire class, but I definitely made an impact on a couple of them. And now all the students know, I asked all the students there, um, you know, what do you think a pharmacist does? And, uh, they were just like, Oh, gives you prescriptions. I, I didn't get a single answer mm. beyond gives you prescriptions. So I took the time out to go through the entire process of all the things that a pharmacist does before we give you that prescription. Now, what I would do is if, you know, if in terms of getting to those particular events or what the responses may be, I would just go to my social networks and say, hey, you know, if anyone out there could you, like I, I want to talk more about pharmacists and our importance, like if you work at a school or a health organization and, you know, I would be willing to go and do that for free and talk for 30 minutes, talk for an hour, hit, like, let me know. And you might get no responses from there. But if you do it more, you know, if you do it more than once and people see that you're serious about it, like maybe after like the six posts you do it, one person is going to invite you to a career day at their child's school or at the school that they teach. Definitely. at. You know, so um, I think the response is there, especially now that we're getting more into the limelight. And especially if you're doing it with friends or people that you know, the responses are usually positive and usually people want to do it. Like when I was there, they asked me to already come back a couple other days, you know, so I'm going to try to fit into my schedule to talk to different classes. So that's good, man. Um, yeah. Now I, is I the think time. it's positive. Yeah. Now is the time with the spotlight. I'll come back full circle. Like we first started talking about the, the spotlight is on us now on the pro uh, profession now. And it doesn't have to be some, like you said, some big grandiose thing that you're out there, some kind of vendetta or whatever you have uh on the side that has to be take up all your time it, it just i think the the main point that you and that we're both trying to make i think now is if you don't do anything nothing's going to change that the the students you were talking to when they think of a pharmacist as just filling prescriptions that's not going to change it's going to stay the same if we don't be proactive and speak to the uh, people in the medical field as far as what we have to offer. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. And it, and it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, like I, I feel like maybe when people hear that, oh, I, I talked to students about all the things that a pharmacist did. I didn't talk to them about how we address recalls and how we do return to stock and all that boring stuff. I told them, I'm like, sometimes a physician may prescribe something that might, you know, injure someone or might kill them. And the pharmacist's responsibility is to make sure it doesn't happen. Or because yeah. we have to check, you know, so I went through some of the high level things, but those conversations don't need to be complicated. They just need, they just need to happen at some point. So I like that, man. See, I wasn't even thinking about that part from watching this docuseries. Like that's a cool perspective to, to think about what he was doing at the end there and kind of tie it to our profession and be like, Hey, we can look at this part too. Like Dan Schneider saying like, 
he's wanting, you know, more like possibly looking at the opioid crisis and everything, which, you know, definitely needs attention and focus and, and the pharmacist help on in, in every uh, sense of the word. But taking that from the docuseries too, about like, hey, we can have, we have a chance here to rebrand ourselves as a, as a profession. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Now, I think you said you had some, uh, some community responses to like the, uh, I did. The series. Yeah. Curious to hear, curious to hear what some people, what some, some people were thinking. Yeah. So we got, um, so I sent out on Facebook and Twitter just like, Hey, you know, we're doing this specific episode about the pharmacist. Like, do you have any thoughts about it? Um, you know, what things like that. And so, uh, going first to Facebook here, Jenna said the fact that he just going back to people being so shocked that he recorded everything, (laughs) the the fact that he recorded his patients is wild. I'm assuming, uh, and I'm assuming this is pre HIPAA. Uh, besides that, uh, besides that, he was ahead of his time in asking patients why they were taking medications and trying to use his professional judgment, trying to save uh, people's lives. I think uh, he was Nick, ahead of his time there. I think that's yeah, accurate. I, I do too. Yeah, because that's a that's a good point too. Like we're watching this, and we're like, man, this guy's like doing the right thing. This is cool that he was so proactive. And everything. This was what twenty years ago now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Went down two thousands. Yeah. Uh, Nick responded to Jen and was like, yeah, that blew my mind more than anything else on the entire show. The guy took a tape recorder to work in a pharmacy and secretly recorded the interactions with patients and then put some of those recordings on Netflix, pre-HIPAA or not. I can't wrap my head around that. <laughs> He's like, and then? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, uh, let's see, Sierra, I think is how you pronounce that. I might butcher that. Sierra said, I think it's making me more self-aware of what patients are getting and the actions to their decisions. For example, I've been working at my pharmacy for four years. We sell a lot of buprenorphine RXs, but it all changed this week when one of the customers ended up dying of an overdose, not necessarily on that drug, but it's just sad to see how easily addicted people can get over something that could be prevented. These deaths could have been prevented, and I feel like uh, for some of the doctors, there's so little consequence, no jail time for that doctor to joke and how many lives were ruined. Oh, my God. That's terrible. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's rough. That's a rough thing that happens. I mean, whenever patients, and I think it happened to him too, even Dan in the show where like patients died and he was wondering like, was it his fault? You know, because he yeah. was just doing like, he was just doing the regular line of business for what he would do from day to day. And then he finds out a patient dies because of something he potentially gave them. It's, it's terrible. Uh, they did have a, a comment about that where, by the way, first of all, the, the fact that, you know, Dr. Craig had gotten an awful accident, which was terrible, but that's why she didn't receive jail time. So the fact that she didn't go to prison was really crazy to me. I think a lot of people were screaming at their television yeah, when that happened. I was. But speak, <laughs> uh, speak, yeah, speaking to your point, when you're filling a prescription, those kind of prescriptions, and you, he, Dan even said he was going to funerals, like, and from Dr. Craig's prescriptions that he had filled, you see yourself as part of that chain. Mm-hmm. You see yourself like in that, that chain of events. That's so pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, just a couple more here. Uh, Gina says the whole time I watched it, I was like, what? I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe all this happened just a decade ago. It was really good for me. I learned a lot as a new grad and helped me understand why we have all the policies and laws. Um, and then going to Twitter, uh, John says he had laser beam goals and was not deterred with the many obstacles in his way. Proud of him and his Louisiana accent. Uh, have many relatives in the Lake Charles area. I, you know, before we recorded this episode, I was really trying to get down my Louisiana accent so I could kind of like, like talk like Dan did, you know, like yeah. impersonate him, but it's just, it didn't work, dude. It was, it was That's funny. funny. 
I think it's crazy that um, he was able to like lead a lot of change. I mean, you look at I think he led the change for getting a PMP at his uh, uh PDMP at his uh in his state, like the drug monitoring program. It's yeah, crazy. he uh, and when he when he reached out for that, that happened very very easily, and that to me is just that was just a huge uh, thing as far as battling the opioid crisis. I remember uh, before having PDMP and just the, when we were filling prescriptions. The only way you could know if a patient was doctor shopping or pharmacy shopping was if their insurance came back and mm. said it's too soon to fill. It's crazy. And if they if the patient came up and said don't bill us on insurance, I want to pay cash, that was like a red flag, you know, yeah, from the get go. And then the PDMP came in and that just changed everything. Yeah. Uh, one last thing, uh, Redbeard1969 on Twitter said, after working to get two unscrupulous prescribers out of our community, I could re- relate to some of the frustrations that he was dealing with. The process seems to take forever, and they have to keep you in the dark. Also, it's best to go to the medical of board licensure first, which is what Dan did. I think at the very end, the uh, the way that he got Dr. Cleggett, uh practiced uh, down was going to the medical board. Is that right? Yeah, he he did have to go to the medical board, and, and I think one of those members actually was uh, in the actual series as well, talking about like what they felt that their role was and why they were happy that Dan had reached out to them. So, yeah, I think that was a, a huge part and a huge role in, yeah. in, in his progress. So definitely got some really, really good thoughts from everybody out there. Everyone was uh, responding. Thanks to those who responded on social media. I think very interesting that that uh, everyone was really shocked about his recording too. That was that was interesting, but I think it it was a, a integral and huge piece as far as um, making it real for you. Not only in the first episode when you're talking about his son, you know the conversations like you said between his, him and his wife, mm-hmm. but everything he everything he went through and all the backlash he got from everyone and uh, just I don't know, man. The the whole thing to me was was incredible. I'm so glad that I watched it. I, I, I hate that for when I first saw it, I was like, eh, maybe yeah, not, see. you know, <laughs> but, uh, it, 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 it was so good on just, not only just the entertainment level, but also like in, in so many ways, speaking to our profession, speaking to the opioid crisis. Uh, I loved it. I loved yeah. it. I have a question for you. Bring Be- it. It says, when you look at the thing on Netflix, it says like series one and then like episodes one, two, three, four, five, you know, like episodes one through four. Do you oh. think that there's more that might either come from him or do you think that like the pharmacist might be something bigger where like maybe season two is like a whole nother new story? You think that was that's, my first thought. You think so? Oh, dude. If I mean, when you just said that about and like it, then the idea popped in my head of like a sequel. Yeah, I think it would be not Dan Schneider, just somebody else. Uh, and they were, if they were to continue this, it would be the same producers, same all that stuff, but different pharmacists, uh, different battle. Maybe still having to do with the opioid crisis, but yeah, I bet you though they wouldn't. Would it would have to be something like I, I cannot imagine they're going to find another Dan Schneider that has all the recordings though. Like I feel like no. the next one would have to be like a completely different type where it's it's something different, you know. Oh, it's going to be a different feel and everything, but one can hope, man. I hope that happens. Yeah. That'd be awesome. What do you think it would be? Like, do you, like, did you, have you thought about like what you think the next series, like, um, season would be on? Like if there was like another big thing that pharmacists go through? Uh, I can't, I don't even know. Pharmacist? I don't even know what it would be. Uh, I think it would have to, to, I think it would have to, it feels like it would have to stick with the opioid crisis to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like I have to stick with that because I can't think of 
right now anyway, something that would uh, be as gripping or as something that would like, I don't know. It was uh, also there was now that the PDMP is in, in place and, and since then, uh, I wanted to bring this up too. It was interesting how they talked about it went from Oxycontin and now it just kind of switched over to heroin. Like people weren't able to get mm. their prescriptions filled anymore. So, so heroin became a thing. But even if it turns into like a, a – the Netflix turns into this like fictional series of like a pharmacist like, I don't know, yeah, fighting, fighting crime when he gets off work or when she gets off work. Yeah, that'd, that'd be – I'm curious to see. I, I do wonder because I just I just feel like they can't if they I just feel like if they had the season one part there that there has to be other plans because if not I feel oh. like they wouldn't have done that you know. Yeah, so, could be man, could be. I'm interested to see. Well, Mitch, thank you so much, dude. man, for talking to me about this. I, I'm glad we got Richard, to top it thank up. Thank you, man. It was, dude. It was awesome. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I, I love the the no format. I don't I don't, I don't know if uh, you guys felt like we were jumping around too much, but I, I just I had so much so many thoughts about it and i just wanted to i had to get it all off my chest so it was really really good to, to yeah to break it down yes so uh i hope everyone connects with me on social media if you just look up rx radio on linkedin twitter instagram um facebook all those platforms definitely connect uh mitch where can we find you on social media yeah what did we leave off if we left off something something you want to discuss we can definitely keep it going on uh i'm, I'm sure on richard's podcast but also on mine retail pharmacy uh would definitely bring it back up let me know if you have any thoughts about it, things you want to talk about that's at retail pharmacy r-e-t-e-l-l pharmacy facebook and twitter comments or direct messages either one awesome and mitch we got a couple episodes more episodes planned so i'm excited to continue chopping up with you man oh yes little teaser more is coming Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I sure did. That Netflix docuseries is amazing. I really do hope everyone gets a chance to see it and share it with their friends and family. If you haven't connected with me on social media, please make sure to do so. I hope you guys are enjoying the not so inspirational uh, quotes we've been doing. So a lot of people have been giving some really good feedback. So uh, give me your thoughts on those. And uh, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.